you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Uh, I'm glad, glad we're here today. This is... Um, the first week, I suppose, of, of some rhythms in which we won't have music every week. Uh, so we'll kind of move into a rhythm at least for the next couple months of, of once a month as we kind of sort out how, how that will look into the future. So uh, this week, instead of doing music, we're going to go to Alexis's house and have a meal together. So uh, hopefully you can join us for that. Um, but here, here's what we're going to do today our our passage this this Sunday is actually pretty darn straightforward. It speaks for itself uh very well it's the kind of passage where you're like yeah we don't we don't need to talk more about that got it we'll we'll sort through that so I'm going to kind of like let it speak for itself a little bit, allow us some reflection on it um, but in order to do that i'm going to read it so you know what it is then i'm going to pray and then i'm going to tell you a story from this week. And then I'm going to kind of like zoom us through the passage um, without trying to speak too much to the little stops along the way. Okay, so here's the passage from Matthew 23, 1 through 12. It reads like this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi for the, for you have only one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that to the very core of your divine being is withness. Thank you that you invite us meet you and the ways in which we gather together today. Pray that you would reveal your love for us. Pray that you would help us on this pathway of humility that's laid out so explicitly in this passage. I pray that you'd give me your words to speak, words that are for you and from you and that make much of you. Thank you for this time together. We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. So pretty straightforward, huh? Yeah. Okay. So before we get to that, I'm going to break one of my number one rules of preaching. You have any guesses what that rule is? Don't 
No, that, that's good. That's good. I do sometimes sit down. Ooh, that's that's a good guess. It's a good guess, actually. I don't believe I have ever done that, and I'm not doing that today. <laughs> yeah, everybody's like, "Hold on." Yeah. <laughs> Any other guesses? Aaron, Aaron was going to get it right, so she, we can let her finish. Go ahead. That's right, and I am going to break that rule, <laughs> and I am. Yep. Yep. So, okay, so like a little bit before that, before I break the rule, uh, personally, as a p- person who's played sports their whole lives, uh, I always find that that's like the almost the quote unquote typical male pastor thing to do. And so, in an attempt to so often push against that, I don't share stories that are like these sports analogies all the time, which literally, as I just said that, I'm like, that's what this stupid passage is telling me not to do because it makes me sound better than I am when I just told you like that. <laughs> so, so see, round and round, we're going to go with, with, with all of this. It's just a, it's, it's a thing I think about. Uh, so I'm going to kind of break that uh, today. This one is a little bit more personal um, in nature. Let me get out of the space of convicting myself in real time. Um, so, okay, so this last, this last week um, on, on Friday, I believe it was, today's Sunday, yes, on Friday, uh, I, I went to a basketball game. And I was going to the basketball game for my alma mater, the same college where I played basketball at. It just so happens that my college coach is still the coach there. So one, you're like, dude, you're old. And I'm like, I know that he's even older than me, though. He, he's been coaching at that at Rocky Mountain College for 24 years. And so they were down here playing Arizona Christian. And so I was texting with him and I was like, yeah, I'm going to come out. I'm just going to watch the game. It'll be fun to see, you know, that, that sort of thing. Montana teams don't usually make it down to, to Phoenix. So it's like, hey, let's, let's, make, let's make a trip out of it. So I'm telling him I'm going to come to the game. And, and he asks me then if I'd like to share with the team. And he, he kind of knows that I'm in ministry, I suppose. But he didn't totally. He just likes it when former players, like, talk and share with the team. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, that, like, that sounds, that sounds fun. I can, I can do that. I talk people all the time you know like I I think I could come up with something to 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 share and so go go to the game and uh the 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 game is a lot of fun actually it it was a really close game it was a competitive game my team was ahead most of the game and then lost near the very end so so I'm sitting there you know in a gym where I don't know anybody and just watching this game and I'm like I had some things I was thinking about sharing with the team after the game, that's when I'm supposed to talk to them. Now they've just lost a, a heartbreaking three-point game against a team that's really good, that they had a chance to beat. Like, it was, it was this whole thing. I've, I've been there, and I'm like, of all the things I would want to, 20-year-old Chris would want to do after that game, listening to me, 39-year-old version of me, is like so low on that list, right? Like they, there's, they have no, they have no idea who I am. They don't know anything about me and I'm very underwhelming physically. So they're not even convinced that I played, uh, for this, this coach. And and so I'm like running these things through my head. So I kind of had some ideas of what I wanted to talk about. And, 
And it was fitting because this passage had been kind of like churning in my mind. Um, I had been kind of trying to come up with some things to do with it that might be a little different. And so I'm thinking about it and, and it's got like this, I don't know, this theme of humility, obviously running through it. And, and instead of just like straight humility, I got caught on this idea of humiliation. Um, and, and it started me thinking about basketball, which this is where the, this is where the analogy fits life. Okay. Right. Basketball is full of like many humiliations in the middle of games. You, you make a mistake, you foul somebody, you throw the ball away, you miss a shot. Maybe you don't even play in the game, right? Maybe you lose a game. You should have won all of the, there's like all these moments, which are actually just what life is like is all of these many moments of humiliations, which is like a pretty decent idea. And then you're like, oh, wait, I've got to tell these 14 guys who just lost. You know, they're like literally in their sweats, all sweaty and sad. And I'm like, let me talk to you about humiliations. And, you know, they're all kind of like, okay, great, sir. Um, and so, so we talk a little bit about humiliations. But the, the, from there, we went to this concept of time. And so there's like two kinds of time in the Greek. There's chronos time, right? Chronological time, right? Like the game started and then the game ended. But then there's kairos time, which are like the moments of like breaking into chronological time, right? That sometimes are mysterious or sometimes are spiritual or sometimes are hard, right? And on a personal level, there's like we, we can track all kinds of moments in time that that happened. Like this could be a moment that I could choose to acknowledge as potentially shifting in the way in which I want to go in the world. And so that was really just the invitation that I issued all of them was, Hey, maybe these moments are going to happen all throughout this year. And what do you want to be? And what do you want to do with all of that? The thing that I told them that I didn't want to tell you all is that it was interesting to be standing there sharing with this team while my college coach was standing over here. Because he was the one who'd asked me to share. And I actually experienced one giant humiliation my senior year of college. The season started out and I was playing a lot and I was starting. And then there was this point in time in the second semester where I started doing some student teaching and I was late to practice every day because of it. Coach is like, no problem. We'll get you there. Well, eventually I stopped playing altogether. So my entire senior year, the like last half was filled with me not getting to play, which as a senior in college was like one great humiliation. And I looked over and he had no idea. And I thought to myself, that's, that's like all of us carry around these humiliations these, these moments where we felt something so acutely that it, it might have even changed the course of our lives. And others are looking on who maybe were even present to it and have no idea. And I, I don't know, it just it blew my mind in a way that I hadn't quite uh, ever thought of before. And I was struck by like the full circle moment. Honestly, it probably closed a loop in my own life to say that to him or in front of him. And then we had a nice conversation about it as well afterwards. And I don't carry like this resentment against him anymore, but I did for a while. And so, so I was just thinking about all of that with this in view. Okay, step three of the story is that while I was talking with coach, preparing to share with them, telling him a little bit about what I was going to say, there was somebody sitting in a chair, like right behind us, listening to us. 
happen. So there's a game going on over here. We're like on in the corner, kind of pretty casual setting. This gymnasium in general, and there's a man sitting here. And eventually speaks up and he goes, I went to Rocky too. That's what we call the school I went to, Rocky. Rocky Mountain College, we just call it Rocky. I, my whole school has an enrollment of 900 people. I graduated with like 300. This guy goes, I went to Rocky too. He goes, I graduated in 1979. We, like we're, we are a really small school already. He, when, when he went to school, there were 500 students in the school. And he looks at me and he's talking to me and my coach. He goes, ah, I went there too. And I played football. We end up talking and this guy's name's Oscar. Oscar was the only person of color in his graduating class at the school that I went to in 1979. He's from Chicago. So then we start talking and he goes, yeah, I'm a minister. Wait, what? Coach goes, he's a minister too. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, well, we have something to talk about now. Um, yeah, it, okay, it's a, it's actually a really cool story, and it has potential to be an even crazier cool story, but we don't know what's going to happen yet with that, so I'm not going to tell you that, other than he was going to try to come this evening, uh, but he forgot that it was in the evening when I was talking about it and not in the morning, and he lives in Tucson, and so he had to go back, but he said he's going to come back uh, figure out how to bring him back and we're going to talk to him about his experience and see what he wants to teach us about and maybe the one secret thing will have happened and then I'll tell you that too so locked into that so all that to say I spent this like week trying to figure out ways in which to like bring humility to the forefront of our conversation and our time tonight and then at the end of it all I had to just write the dumb sermon so that's what I tried to do. So I got humility in view. There's a little bit of my story that set up why I was thinking about it and then was like, oh my gosh, Oscar's going to come and share with us. It's going to be amazing. And then you're stuck with me. So we're just going to look at it pretty, pretty quickly. And then I'm going to one last humiliation reflection on the end passage. If you've already forgot it begins like this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, which is just important to remember who he's talking to, because especially in these last handfuls of chapters in Matthew that we've been looking at over the last handful of weeks is like everybody's clamoring around, right? Jesus is nearing the end of all of this thing. Everybody's trying to trap him, get him arrested, take him out, get him killed. They're not sure all of those things, right? And so there's people gathered. He had just done a healing, so they were like in on that. That was pretty crazy. They were excited about that, right? Then people are trying to try him, and he tricked him with the coin, right? So he's telling riddles, stuff like that, and everybody's pressing in. And so Jesus says to the crowds and to his disciples with, we would assume, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees looking on, he says the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses, So practice and obey whatever they tell you. And they were probably feeling good right at that time. They're like, that's that's, that's what we've been saying, Jesus. We wouldn't need you to be killed if you would be saying this. And then he says, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. And like just at that point, it it just is too obvious of an observation, right? The problem is not with their teaching. The problem is with their behavior. Like, yeah. What? Like, which actually probably, if you're like me, spins a little bit around your whole view of the Pharisees for a moment. 
right? Because Jesus is arguing it was the teaching was right, but the way they weren't acting it was not. Like, oh, okay, okay. Wrestle with that a little bit, right? And it's like we're just going to be real with this idea that he's talking to religious leaders. Like, isn't this a dichotomy that's all too familiar with the religious professionals that we know? we know of isn't this many of our own stories even of our wrestles with those in positions of religious leadership is that they're telling us one thing and being another it's probably true of religious people of today as well too even those who don't it's a convicting word for everybody although it's nice that it's a little pointed at the religious professionals because this was never the intent of, of God's good creation, right? That this thing that God's doing right here through Jesus is, is the story that God's always been inviting us to, which was learning how to be in the world and what to do in the world, not what to believe in the world. That's not the starting point with God, and that's not the starting point with Jesus. He says, learn to be and learn to do, and you'll fall right into what I've always needed you to believe anyway. We've been spending some time talking about this in Kaleo's school as we've been comparing this idea of a Western worldview that is often set on what you put into your mind, that that determines your rightness in the world by what you believe. If you have the correct doctrine about belief, you're set, which is literally what Jesus is arguing here. We're comparing it to, as in our study of indigenous theology, an indigenous worldview, which has always been participative in the way in which you live confirms what you believe. Which is interesting that this is how Jesus is speaking in this moment in time. And all of us still have beliefs. We still have ideas about what right doctrine is. But in this moment in time, Jesus seems to be saying, it's irrelevant if you don't do what the teaching says. You don't do what I've offered you here, which we'll get to what he seems to be saying in a moment. So he goes on, he's still speaking to the religious leaders when he's telling you not to, not to pay much attention to them because they're not, they're not doing what they say they're going to do. He says they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. And we're like, what is, is this 2023? He says on their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels. That would be common Jewish garb. Again, it's already pretty clear. But to state it plainly, Jesus is heaping reproach on religious leaders who are arrogant, according to Matthew and his audience. That's how they're being viewed to Matthew and everybody who's like looking on. So it's a bit, bit helpful, a little bit of scholarly insight from Craig Keener. He says, Matthew apparently believes probably accurately that Jesus himself wore these things, these prayer boxes and these tassels. The issue here isn't whether one observes Jewish customs. So it's not a, a slight against Judaism, right? And it's not something that we can then tangle into some sort of form of anti-Semitism. Instead, what seems going on here is whether one seeks honor for themselves or for God. The purpose of those things on their garments were to seek the honor of God. The moment they become about you and what you wear and why you wear it and how you wear it, 
it's lost its purpose. He says this then about them. He says, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. Which if you know anything about Jesus, you know he's always talking about the opposite of that. And although this discourse from Jesus here does seem to focus more intently on the Pharisees, the practice of coveting the the most honorable seat was widespread. People wanted the most honorable seat. We want the most honorable. Like it's not it's like who humans end up being so often, right? It literally the disciples of Jesus get in a fight about who gets to sit in the best seat, the right hand of God, right? Like talk about missing the message as it's happening. So this is what we're prone to do. Seek places of honor. We want to be recognized. But as Howard Thurman teaches us about Jesus, the most honored spot is first wherever Jesus is. And that place seems to always be with those who have their backs against the wall. That's where we find Jesus. And so to learn to sit at the table like Jesus is to find yourself on this like downward humble way to live in contrast to what's offered by the religious leaders or the world at hand. There's another way, he says. But he's still not done talking about him just yet. He says they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Which is, again, probably hard to place contextually. I have one moment that makes me think of it. I have this route that I walk in my neighborhood with my dog. Uh, It takes a lot to get my dog to do this lap. She's 14 now, and we're always like, come on, you just got to go. So we go like a little bit one way, and there's this point where she just decides she's not walking any farther. So we turn around back, but we always make it all the way around the block back the other way. You can only go one direction. I know, it's crazy. But you walk by this one guy's house, I don't remember his name. And he says, hi, pastor, every time I walk by. I'm not sure when I told him that or if I told him that. (laughs) Very likely Kate told him that. But there's potential that I told him that. And and every time it's kind of like, yeah, I am. And then I walk away and I'm like, and I still haven't asked your name yet. Because now it's too long. It's like... It's like an episode of Friends, I think, with Chandler, may he rest in peace, uh, has like just decided it's been so long since he hasn't got this guy's name right that he's not going to find it out. He's just going to confidently call him by the wrong name. I haven't gone that far yet. I just go no name. Point being, you feel something when people call that out. Maybe whatever your profession is, whatever thing, like you just, yeah, it does. He's like, no, wrong reason to do that, right? There's even this, this saying, at later, later rabbinical sating. If a sage boasts, his wisdom vanishes. I was thinking that's like, ooh, that's so spot on. If a sage boasts, their wisdom vanishes. So this word rabbi was probably this honorary greeting, which was most often meant in a respectful way, right? Like it's not like a, a bad thing to have respect. It's the wanting to be called the name. Jesus takes issue with. Then he lists all these other names. He says, don't let anyone call you rabbi for you only have one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters, which is crazy. Actually, just to like 
pause on that for a second because this isn't in my notes. But when I read it like this, I'm like, man, that's why? Why don't we take that saying from Jesus literally, right? I feel like that's some of what we seek to accomplish in the life of Kaleo is that we we are all teachers to one another. We are all teaching and learning together, even if we sometimes have this dynamic, which now is not amplified. So, hey, look, we're getting closer. Then he says this. He says, don't address anyone here on earth as father. For only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. Right? So just again, a little contextual clarity is helpful. This is, again, New Testament scholar Craig Keener says, most likely, this is, right, nobody's like, absolutely, here's what's happening. He says, most likely is the view that Jesus addresses the custom of using Abba, right, a a more, more intimate, respectful title, for older men and other prominent individuals, especially teachers, he's saying, let's, let's use that word differently. And then he's saying that they would hear Jesus' teaching as a warning not to be like those who are seeking honorary titles or positions above other people. He's trying to flip, again, the hierarchy on its head from the bottom up, the, the downward way. And then we finally get to the most memorable lines of the discourse where Jesus says this. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And it seems here as we get to these final two statements that Jesus is emphasizing a model of humility that's actually more for his own followers. I even feel like that's why Matthew begins this whole thing by telling us who Jesus is talking to that his followers and the crowds are nearby. And he's saying to them, this is the way we must live. And it's less of at this point in time, a condemnation of those who exalt themselves and more of an invitation to his followers and those crowding around to live this way, to change the narrative, if you will. And I, I don't know, I'm not sure there's an easier way to understand the humility of Jesus than, than taking these words to heart. Like it's like, it's just pretty to the point, right? These are the type of things to, to live these final two verses out. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humble and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Like these are the ways in which we learn who we are and what to do. We, we store these in us. We go, all right, Jesus, you showed us what this looks like. Who are we and what do we do? So one last thing before we have some time and, and reflection. This idea of humiliation and its relationship to becoming humble people. There's this Franciscan teacher named Richard Rohr. You may be familiar with him. And he, here's, how, here's how he says it. He says, I've prayed for years for one good humiliation a day. And then I must watch my reaction to it. I have no other way of spotting both my well-denied shadow self and my idealized persona. And I just find that to be such an intriguing way to think about becoming a follower of Jesus, to pray for a daily humiliation so that it might reveal to you 
the things you can't see about yourself, maybe the way the, the shadow of yourself is looming, the way in which you have in your mind this idealized person that you will be and become. And when he, when he teaches on this, he, he, it's a quote from a book called Falling Upward. But when he teaches on it, he says, he cautions against praying this prayer. He says, maybe, maybe don't pray this prayer. And, and, he, and he means it sincerely. Uh, and, I, and I take him sincerely on that as well. Be, because he's essentially saying, are you ready to be humiliated? Like who, who among us wants to be humiliated? There's maybe not a way to decide how you're ready to be humiliated, so to speak. But he cautions against it. But he says, too, that this seems to be the way. This is the way of Jesus. This downward way is like the only way. There's, there's, not, a, there's not another way. And I think my favorite thing about all of that is like, man, we're all left to evaluate what, what cuts to our heart, what invites us to something else. Because it's almost like that, that quote, like soon as you boast about your humility, soon as you boast about your wisdom, it vanishes. I think it might've been Tim Keller who says this. He says like the thing about humility is that it's really shy because the moment you start talking about it, it goes away. And so I don't, again, I don't know what all of that might mean for us. I wrestled with past humiliation this week from when I was 20, 22 years old. Got me thinking about all of the little ways in which I personally experience humiliation in my life. And I think it's an interesting invitation for all of us to, to wrestle out ourselves what, what that might look like. And so it seems fitting as it, as it always is to give Jesus the final word on this, to, to let us just be still in the presence of Jesus, to, to receive one, his love, his humble, welcoming, inviting love, and ask him about this humble way. See what, see what Jesus has to say to you about the humble way. And then we'll have some communion together. So let's just be still in the presence of Jesus. Ask him about this humble way. Bask in his love for a moment. And then I'll pray.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Would you help us pay attention to the humble way of Jesus? Would you help us hear the words of Jesus as he addresses the the crowds and the disciples? Would we be people who practice your ways? Would we not crush people with unbearable religious demands? Would we grant people rest? Would you protect us from being caught up in our image of putting on a show? Would you remind us that the humble way is to be a servant? Would you remind us that you are our teacher and we are all equal as your children? Love you. The power of your Holy Spirit help us to live this humble way. In your name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.